everybody, and welcome. <laughs> what kind of opening is that? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Uh, I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick. My co-host, Jennifer Kalari, will be along in just a second. We have an amazing show, a really great show. And as you know, we talk about mental health issues and we practice skills because mental health is a practice. Um, and so or so I've been told. Not that I do it, but I'd love you to do it whenever able. Um, I'm doing this for a friend. And, uh, you know, when it comes to mental health, we're all teenagers. We're all awkward and no one is really an expert, although you could become an expert on yourself. And I've also really learned that mental health is a not only a personal issue, but a community issue. So we have to teach the community how to practice skills. There's a lot of talk about it, but, you know, it's really good when you can do it or just even be aware of it. You don't even have to do it. Uh, you don't even have to make these choices. Just the fact that you're aware of things. You're aware of how you talk to yourself. You're aware of what you say in your head. You know, you're you're aware of um, how you think and what you feel. And so I would, there's a lot of skills that I could have used as a, as a kid. Um, you know, a lot of skills. And yesterday I've been speaking at some mental health conferences, which is really funny because they always say, well, you're the comic relief, which immediately puts pressure on me. And I immediately start, when I feel pressure, and I don't like relate to the feeling of fear. What happens is I, I turn negative. I get a little negative. So I was trying to write material for this uh, conference on teenage mental health from a place called the Shift Foundation. And they had, a, they had a big event and it was great, the Shift Foundation. So I'm out there and I wrote all this stuff and I didn't realize like how negative it was until I started saying it. <laughs> And I got out there and I was I was doing the like I started with if you're unhappy and you know it, clap your hands. So that's not that's not nothing, right? But I said I'd like to start with a cheer. I say self-care and you say rare. I say panic, you say attack. I say depression and you say constant. And it really wasn't what we're looking for. And so and then I talked about depression. You know, I said that, you know, my whole life I've struggled with depression, and I always knew that uh I always knew that someday I would learn how to make this funny, um, but today is not that day. Those kind of things. I talked about my family, Ancestry.com, uh, that I had done it, and I found that the Krasnick family was steeped in American mental health history. Okay? So the Krasnick family, we were the first family to go back on the Mayflower because somebody forgot to take a jacket. Okay, that was the first joke. Second one was we were original signers on the Declaration of Codependence. Joke number two. And joke number three was my uncle, uh, my not my great, 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 not so great uncle Caleb Krasnick was the first hypochondriac to fight in the Civil War. Surrendered at the Battle of Vicksburg because it cleared up his chest cold. So I had jokes, but then I, you know, kind of talked about what I, what skills I wish I had when I was a kid, you know, skills like, um, you know, like it's, it's, uh, like I'm enough. Okay. Like I would just be aware that I'm enough. Uh, it's okay to pause would have been a big skill for me. Um, and my thoughts are connected to how I feel. 
And the biggest one was never wear uh, platform hush puppies and blue polyester bell bottoms. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Okay. And it's that time once again, folks. Time for the Lady Gaga of the limbic system, the Madame Curie of the midbrain, and the Sacagawea of serotonin, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, welcome back. I want to... Thank you. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you cleanse your, your palate, like if you, because you sometimes see people one after another. Oh, I do. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I see 35 people oh, a week. Back, back. So what do, what do yeah. you do? What do you do in between uh, clients? Well, you know what? I, because I like this work, I know I love this work because I enjoy my work so much. I really do. I know it sounds crazy, but I can see 11 people in a row and just feel pretty energized after. I just have to make sure like on the weekends and my days off that I'm not looking at my phone, that I'm not checking emails and I'm just very mindful and very present in what I'm doing. And I've, I've worked hard at it and, but it, 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 it's, it works. Is there a trick? Uh, is there a trick? Well, I mean, what you and I talk about all the time is, is thought hygiene, right? right. <laughs> like really focusing on what, what am I thinking about? So I've really practiced the art of, of guiding my mind and directing my mind to think about what I enjoy, what I appreciate, or even just neutral thoughts instead of dwelling on negative thoughts or worries. So I, I really, you know, where, where thoughts go, energy flows. So I just, I have really practiced directing my mind to think about what I want to be thinking about. And to me, that's, that's how I do it. Well, you say thought hygiene. I, I think... And that's a great thing. There's got to be, that's like a, a really good phrase, thought hygiene. But also um, a mental health nutrition or mental health diet mm -hmm. or mental mm -hmm. health menu. Something yeah. that's, you know, that's fine for people. But it's like what you, you know, what you, what you put in. And, and then the other thing I was thinking about is quality control. We mm -hmm. need, in this culture, quality control. And, and the way I mean that is like we've all come to rely on social media and we think that we call it a conversation. I was having a chat or a conversation. It's not a conversation. It's an interaction. Mm, that's it is true. not a conversation. Because a yeah. conversation is something that's a very high quality. Mm -hmm. An interaction is something that's very low quality. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't connect, but it's sure. low yeah, I think that makes sense. And so quality control, yeah, a, just yeah. like your thoughts, you call it, the, you know, you say thought hygiene, you have to be the quality control manager of your thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and like we always say, that's a practice, right? You, it's not such a, it's not as easy as just making a decision. Right. Right. You get really good at when you, when you pay attention and you're tuning in inward and you're realizing you're you know, having a series of negative thoughts about something or something's bugged you an hour before and it's still living in you and sitting in you actively do things to shift your thinking and, and kind of, you know, we've talked about exercises on the show where you imagine like, you know, putting your worries into a, a candle and blowing out the candle or, you know, soccer ball and kicking it out. Like you, you need to take action to get that negative thinking out of your head. And the more you do it, 
the more you're training your brain. Oh, right. I am the thinker of my thoughts. I'm the one doing the thinking around here. I can decide what I think. And it takes practice. So I want to bring on our guests. And I was reticent to uh, talk about her before. And I shouldn't be because she's amazing. She is um, she's a pop culture journalist, very fine writer, uh, and also the co-host of a, a podcast with her husband, Chris Dotson, called Something About Astrology. And this is fascinating. We're going to talk about this. She does voiceover for guided meditation. Okay. All right. Really creative person. Uh, and we're happy to have Almy Rose on the show. Thank you for having me. Downward Spiral is indeed my favorite yoga pose, so I'm very happy to be here. I love that you do Downward Spiral. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've tried that. I'm in it now. I'm uh, I'm a Jew in Downward Spiral. Um, what, you know, first of all, anyway. it's been a while, but I am a fan. Uh, we, years ago, uh, had an amazing thing where Almy came on a show I was doing, and she did uh, an impression, a dead-on impression of Betty Frances Draper from the show Mad Men. That shows you how long ago it was, but you were amazing. Now, Almy, Almy, so tell (laughs) us about what this is. Tell us about pop culture journalism. Those things really don't, you don't hear them in the same sentence. You actually are a journalist and you're, you're fascinated by pop culture. So how do you keep the level of journalism up when you're writing about the things you write about? (laughs) That's an interesting question. I like to approach these topics with curiosity. I think a lot of people hear about pop culture and entertainment news, and they think that perhaps that doesn't count as journalism. But I think it does. I think it's just as valuable as learning about anything else, as long as you approach it with a healthy outlook, as long as you're not engaging in parasocial relationships or putting anyone on pedestals or being obsessive, as you could with any other form of news. I think it's a form of news that should be embraced a little more. I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying pop culture. I think pop culture brings people together. It strengthens relationships. It got me through 2020. It is really something that has always been there for me. And I've been lucky enough to be able to talk about these topics on TV. One of my favorite things to do Mm -hmm. is I'm a commentator for the entertainment news show 50 Inside. And that only airs in France. And I don't speak French, so they dub me in French. And they could be having me say anything, but I trust that they are being faithful to the translation. And to me, like, that's the power of pop culture. They talk Mm. about Beyonce in France. Like, they talk about our celebrities. It just has this way of, like, truly bringing people together, as cheesy as that may sound. It's almost like rooting for a sports team. Everyone has their favorite pop culture figure, Mm. has their favorite musician or actor or someone that they root for. And it's something that I enjoy talking about. And I'm also a huge TV fanatic. So it's really been working. What do you what do you watch in these days? And is there anything that actually, you know, it helps your your outlook on life? It helps your it gives you perspective in terms of what's going on. Mm. You know, this is really the best time to watch TV. I know we had the golden age of television with Mad Men, but streaming now is just a whole different thing. I just watched Swarm from Donald Glover and Jenny Neighbors, and that was fantastic. It's about um, a woman's obsession with a Beyonce-like pop star and how that obsession brings her to murder. So it's a satirical look, of course, at celebrity and stardom. 
But it really was just beautifully shot and very thought-provoking and well done. And I love seeing those kinds of shows, um, those little treats that you wouldn't normally find. Um, I'm watching the big ones right now, of course, like Succession, um, Ted Lasso, Mm. Barry, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I mean, we are so lucky. Imagine telling someone in like 1900s that like you could watch entertainment in your room anytime you want Mm -hmm. and that it's going to have the quality of a movie. I mean, I guess they weren't really going to movies in the 1900s and the early 1900s, but it's just an incredible time to be alive and to love. I'm trying, I'm trying to picture uh, somebody from 1900 watching Barry. Um, I think that would be fantastic. I think their eyes would roll back in their head. I think it's fantastic that there's also a great show called somebody somewhere on HBO, which Mm -hmm. is like one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. I've added that to my list. I'm writing all this down. Highly recommend. Rob Cohen, my good friend Rob Cohen directs that show. It's amazing. Now, Almy, um, you've also done a lot of work, a lot of investigative work on uh, the American Girl dolls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, those to me, those are an iconic. <laughs> Tell us about that. It's that's like iconic pop yeah. culture. So the American Girl dolls, for those not familiar, they are literal dolls that came out in the 80s from the Pleasant Company. And there were also books. So growing up, you were either a fan of the dolls or the books or both. And the dolls were very expensive and they had all of these accessories. And the big hook about them was that they were historical. So you could get a doll that was from 1944. That was Molly. Or the Victorian doll, my favorite, was Samantha. So they came from all of these different periods in history. And what's interesting now is they just dropped the 1990s dolls, which freaked out a lot of millennials. Um, So they're called (laughs) Isabel and Nikki Hoffman. You can get them. Their accessories are a computer with the internet on the screen. You can get them a CD player, an inflatable chair. You can get them Pizza Hut. So it's really interesting to see that shift. And to see what could you get from Watergate? Could they be uh, working in Watergate, wow. or could they uh, be part of an assassination attempt? There is there is a '70s doll. Her name is Julie, and you can yeah. get her a fondue set. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I watched a lot of those with my daughter, yeah. and I loved them. Right, there's shows too. Yeah, the books are actually fantastic too. Like uh, from a therapist point of view, I think the books are wonderful. Mm. So they're I modeling. Think. There's something to learn. They're really modeling, like ther- you know, like self-esteem and 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 therapy and even race in in one of them. I saw a long time ago. Um, but you have lunches. You wrote about lunches. <laughs> yeah. Well, mo- one of the most fascinating things to me when I was growing up, wanting these American Girl dolls. I loved their lunches. Each doll came with her own school lunch because each doll also came with a book that would be about her time in school. So you would have Samantha learns a lesson or Molly learns a lesson. And so each lunch was very distinctive to the time period and of their social class. So Samantha, the Victorian doll, had a tea sandwich and a deviled egg in her lunch. Um, I later found out with some research. I know. Um, for whatever reason, in the 2000s, they removed the deviled egg. I thought that was so weird. Like, why? But they did. Um, well, it had yeah, the word devil in it was the problem. You know what? That was yeah. it. That was definitely it. Um, the 80s doll has a Pac-Man lunchbox and has cheese puffs in her lunch. So I was just completely fascinated by these little lunches. And so I started ranking them in a video that I put on TikTok and Instagram. And a lot of people really connected with them. 
it was like a way to time travel. They saw the food and they thought, I have not thought about this since I was a kid and it's all coming back to me. And so that was just really fun. And it really says a lot about America, too. Like, I think they really captured, like, for example, Molly, the World War II doll. She doesn't have a lunchbox because they were rationing tin. So she had a literal paper bag and she had one Oreo in her lunch and like two carrot sticks and half a sandwich. So it was really interesting, like the layer of detail and of history that really went into these tiny little plastic lunches. Jennifer, do you ever work with... uh with dolls or when you're working with kids? Kids, Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because my, my youngest was obsessed with American dolls. So we had a a few of, well, we should have about five or six of them. And I used to use those with my clients and we would, because children, what they do is they project kids don't little kids, especially don't sit down and go, Oh, let me tell you about my day. You know, it all started when Josh took my shovel in the sandbox they come home and they withdraw or they get mad at their brother or they have a temper tantrum over something. So play is their natural medium. And so what kids do is they project their stuff, their inner world onto the toys in order to make it real, to make it something that they can manipulate and see and move and explore and see from different angles. We can do that in our heads often um, as adults, but kids can't do that. They don't have the frontal lobe capacity to do that. So I use dolls and toys all the time, but specifically American girl dolls. And we would work out social skills and, you know, what to say if you think somebody's being socially aggressive. And, and it was a fascinating way to see kind of kids inner world getting projected onto the toys and then working that out in a way that just felt safer for them rather than just speaking at them. We did it through play. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And, and, and then I don't, I've never asked you this, but do you are you an astrology fan, uh, Jennifer? Do you have you ever had your chart done, for example? I have never had my chart. I mean, I'm fascinated by it, but I'm, I don't know a whole. Well, that's about why it, we have so. Al- Almy's going to help us with with learn a, a little bit about astrology. You okay. you you have a podcast, something about astrology. How did this all happen? So this happened because in 2020, uh, we all know what happened there. And there, the demand for entertainment journalism mm-hmm. was, you know, maybe not as high as it was uh, previously. There wasn't a huge necessity to hear what Brad Pitt was up to at that time. So I needed to find something to, you know, uh, to keep myself busy. And I got into voiceover work in 2020. And I thought that was just a beautiful little world to be involved in. And one of the ways that I wanted to practice voiceover work was to make a podcast because I thought that will teach me how to use the editing software, how to speak and and get a good mic and all of those things that you need to learn. So I asked my husband if he wanted to be involved because he's a very funny, wonderful, creative man. He's also an actor, a writer. He, He does it all. He also does taxes, which works out great for me. So I asked him, Amazing. <laughs> it really is. So I asked him, what's something that you could talk about? Um, because I could talk about pop culture, of course, but I thought it might be interesting to go outside of that. And he said, I know two things, astrology and football. That's just the kind of man he is. So <laughs> I said, you know, I think I'm good with football. I think I know everything I want to know there. And I've always been wanting to know a little more about astrology. He knows a lot. I know a little. So together we know something about astrology. 
So each weekly podcast is, I guess, a forecast of the astrological look ahead. Sometimes we look into history and see, well, what happened on this day years ago? This event happened and look at where the planets were. And isn't that interesting? And then there's a segment called Ask a Scorpio. I am the Scorpio. And he will ask me a question. And usually that's really just our excuse for me to talk about pop culture. You know, like, as a Scorpio, what did you think about the Oscars? So it's a very, like, Mm. fun, lighthearted look at astrology. We always say, like, do not plan your life around astrology. Like, if don't not do something because Mercury is in retrograde or because that person is a Taurus or and you're a Scorpio, like, don't don't take it that far. It's very fun and interesting to learn about and read about. But we say, like, use it as a tool use it when something's going wrong in your life and you can blame the stars and not yourself. So that's kind of how we see it. And how has it affected your relationship? It has brought us so much closer. I mean, first of all, literally and physically, because we record it in my podcast voiceover closet, which is very small. And it literally brings us together every week. And it's brought us together in ways that we learn a lot about each other with every podcast. And it's been really cool. And and it's a creative thing that we do every week. And it's brought, I think, a lot to the relationship. I'm, I'm really grateful that I am married to someone who is curious and likes to do creative things and is a man and can be a man's man. And then also like astrology and like, doesn't care what people think about that. I think that's awesome. So it's been really fun. It's amazing. Uh, It's fantastic. He sounds like a really interesting person. Is there something that you struggle with and what would it be? Absolutely. I don't even mean in your marriage. I mean, just in life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. In life. My biggest thing is I obsess. I will obsess over things in my mind. I will replay things. I, I've tried some like CBT techniques, um, like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, um, to try to ease that. But that is one thing. Jennifer, you're on. I'm on. Well, and I also used to do that all the time. Like my mind would just lock onto something and I could not get it off and it would take off on me and I would just be, you know, lost in whatever I was obsessing about. Um, and I think what happens with when you have a, um, an, a really, I call it a Ferrari brain, right? Like a brain that's, that goes fast and you make connections and you enjoy connections. Um, mm. It can be, you know, wonderful, but the sort of shadow of that is that it'll take off on you in the wrong direction. And if you don't know how to drive it, you're going into the ditch kind of thing. And the minivans will pass you. Mm. So at the beginning, when I was talking about thought hygiene and just really learning to be the thinker of your thoughts and kind of focus direct your mind to think about what you want to think about. That is a skill and it takes a long time. And one of the things that can be helpful, actually, well, two things. One is whenever you are obsessing about something and you're, you're uncomfortable now, it's what's called ego dystonic. You don't want to be thinking it any, about it anymore. You're tired. Like you just want to stop. Um, I'm sure when you were kind of, uh, you know, experiencing CBT that, you know, they would teach you stop thought techniques. But I think some of the best ones are let yourself do it for a little minute. Thank your brain. Like, thank you, brain. Mm -hmm. You're trying to Mm -hmm. come up with something amazing for me, or you're trying to save me, or you're trying to help me or trying to protect me in some way. Always go towards it and thank it first. That's really important. Sometimes the more you try to ignore what you're obsessing about, the more your brain goes, no, 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 no. What are you doing? Think about something else. Come back here and think about this. 
So actually by going towards it first, it can make a huge difference. And then slowly practice forcing yourself to think about something else. So something neutral is a great way. It's sometimes trying to think about something Mm -hmm. else that's interesting or productive Mm -hmm. won't work very well Mm -hmm. because your brain won't let go, but it'll allow you for a second to just think about uh, Mm. birds that are singing outside or a cloud formation or that you're really happy with the wall color you picked or like it could be the silliest, most simple thing that, but it just takes your brain off that treadmill for a second and then you go back and then you bring yourself back and, and sort of that that's really helpful. And also using, um, a technique like, I don't know, imagine that the thing you're obsessing about, you've put into inside of a baseball and then you actually hold the baseball in your hand and you feel the softness of the leather and you feel the stitching and, and really practice using your imagination. And then imagine the baseball bat in your hand and throwing the ball up in the air and kind of whacking the baseball bat and seeing it fly out of the stadium. And the more real you can make that, the more you can add color and sound and everything to it, your midbrain, which is the part of the brain that's causing you to obsess. And all obsessing really is, is a little piece of your brain. It it doesn't care what it is. It thinks that this thing you're thinking about is going to save your life. It doesn't matter if you're thinking about something new that you want to buy or a conversation you had with somebody and you didn't think it went well. It doesn't care about any of that. All it thinks is that this thing could kill you if I don't stop thinking about it. So the the basic premise of that Mm -hmm. is if there was a lion chasing or an animal chasing you, you would lock on and think, where is that thing? Where is it? Where was it a second ago? Is it here? Is it there? And because we've thought like that for thousands and thousands of years, that's what's kept us alive. So we're only Mm -hmm. here because we obsessed, right? So once you honor that it's a ancient primal important thing that your brain is doing it's just misguided and then you actually take an action where you throw it out of your head that's all your brain wants you to do your midbrain just wants you Mm. to do something about whether or not you're being chased or whether that thing could come back and attack you and as long as it thinks you've done something and it can't tell the difference between you remembering something Mm. imagining something or actually doing something it's all the same to the midbrain only your frontal lobe knows the difference Right. So if you just do something and you just do it over and over, the thought will come right back in your head and you whack it out again. And then it comes back and you kick it out of your head again and you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it until after a few weeks. And it doesn't even take wow. that long. Often your brain will start wow. to obey your command. It will start to understand that you're, you don't want to run that program. Thank you for trying to save me. Thanks for helping me out, but I don't need you right now. You can go. And it really does work. It just takes a lot of practice. And the other thing that I think can be really helpful is think about, I don't know a ton about computers, but if you're coding and you enter a little error code in there by accident, and then you just keep replicating the error code, you're going to stay in that mistake. You're going to stay in that error. So if you can kind of identify that an obsessive thought or a negative thought or some thought that you don't want is just an error, then don't keep repeating the error. So you just say, oh, this is error code. I don't want to continue this error code. I'm going to think about something that's positive or pleasant or neutral. And it's just a habit. You just kind of stay with it until you build the neuropathways that support your brain listening to you. Gosh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're wow. welcome. Interesting. And, and also, yeah. when you think generally, you know, that, that that's not about the thing that you're obsessing about, but just generally, you know, it feels good to sit here in this chair is very comfortable, whatever. Uh, the byproduct is that you actually start to feel better. 
And so now you're feeling better, even if it's for a minute or 30 seconds or 25 seconds. And that pause, you know, changes the direction of your thinking all of a sudden. And even if it comes back, you can go back to that. You know, it's like, what what if goes in both directions? It does. It does. And what... What's crazy is that we're basically intelligent, spiritual beings stuck in monkey bodies, right? These ancient bodies that are just carrying around information that, thank God, or we wouldn't be here. Um, Do you want to hear a crazy fact about DNA? Sure. So it's basically a giant USB key. I don't know how else to explain it. It it stores and records (laughs) genetic information and then copies that information. And there was a study done. I'll, I'll try to find the details on this because it, it's fascinating. Where they literally took an ebook and copied it and downloaded it onto a strand of human DNA. I think it was one little strand was able to hold 13 billion copies of this ebook that you could look at and read and then remove it off the human DNA and take it off. So if you think about it, we have got thousands and thousands and thousands of years of programming around survival and danger and war and famine and protecting your families. That's just running in that, you know, those USB keys. And we're living in a completely different world now and running ancient programming. And once you can start to see that it's helped us and it serves us and we, you know, we more rarely now, but we do actually need our fight or flight mechanism sometimes. But for the most part, we don't. And you're just kind of overriding. You are yeah, just being in the what's called the witness state, right? Just noticing yourself thinking about it. Right there, you're already in a different in Well, a different I'm in place. the Actors Witness Protection Program. Jennifer couldn't be there, be here for this. We had a glitch, a technical glitch. And so uh, Jennifer couldn't join us on this part of the conversation. She is on the other part of the interview, as you heard. All right. So, Almy, you are, th- this is, we were talking about this. You have kind of a job that is very unusual, and uh, it's pretty interesting. And Mm -hmm. tell us what you're doing, uh, something to do with your voice. Yes. Well, I am in voiceover, but I don't really think of myself as a voiceover actor because what I do is mainly guided meditations. And this was something I fell into in 2020 when we were all, as I was saying, looking for other things to do. And I got into voiceover work, and something about the meditation space really pulled me in. Um, I had recently started meditating, and it was both soothing for me to be part of and to listen to. And I didn't realize that there was a whole world out there of people who recorded these guided meditations. I think I was always under the assumption that anyone who does guided meditations is themselves like a spiritual master who has all of these teachings. But no, most of the time, it's people who are interested in it and have maybe some voiceover experience and can deliver just a calming meditation. And so that's kind of what I've gotten into. Um, I recently got with a company called We Meditate, that's W-E-E, because it's guided meditations for children. So there really is a whole world out there of meditation that I was unaware of. And I mean, I wish that I had discovered meditation when I was a kid. I might be a much more chill adult, but I'm starting to now. 
It's fantastic. It's really an important thing to help people, you know, to calm down and to help people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get present. And it's it's a fun way. It's an easy way. And you don't have to be uh, Thich Nhat Hanh to do it. You don't have to mm-hmm. be a guru to do it. And and I wonder, even a further extension of this is, it's it's just amazing to me that we we listen to these tapes, but it's never our own voice. Mm-hmm, We're mm-hmm. always listening to other people's voices, and this is not to put anybody out of business, which you you wouldn't. However, right. wouldn't it be great if there was a kit, and the kit teaches you how to actually make your own meditation tapes? Mm. I think that would. Uh, yeah, that would be huge. I think for me, just starting to hear my own voice when I was practicing this, I would write my own meditations and record them and hear them back. And there really is something very affirming about hearing your own voice say these things to you. I know some people don't necessarily like to hear the sound of their own voice, but I think in this space where you're in like a safe space and you've got your headphones on and you have your own voice telling you like, it's going to be okay, take a deep breath. Yeah, I think that there's something there for sure. Yeah, and I and I think that there's, you're talking about a two-step uh, process or maybe more steps, but the idea of writing one mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. in itself extremely therapeutic. Oh, it really is. That's so true. It's taking anything that you are worried about or anxious about, and it's flipping it on its head, and it's turning it into something that can empower you. At least that's how my meditations start for me. I take whatever my biggest concern is, and instead I say what I'm grateful for. And that is a very therapeutic thing. It's true. It's a way of sort of confronting what's inside you and turning it into an actionable thing. Like, okay, I'm going to sit here and meditate for even just five minutes and I'm going to listen to the own meditation that I wrote. Yes. Like I think there is something very powerful in that and very healing. We all have that inside of us mm-hmm, and we, we all do. have the other voices that, that say other things. Oh, and absolutely. So, you know, I've seen a lot of humor, you know, there's a whole trend and the trend is to write, you know, funny things or books or make fun of, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the possibility, uh, make fun of it, uh, be satirical about it, but also use curse words that there's something mm-hmm. very therapeutic <laughs> about cursing. Yes. And so, um, I know what so you mean. I don't Those know books what that, that are is. like, you bleeping idiot, get your life together. Right. Like that sort yeah. of angle yeah, yeah there's a meditation <laughs> totally. that this guy did that's so great it's called fuck that yeah and it's yeah, a exactly. real meditation but it has you know the three ring shit show of your life this is the way he talks mm-hmm. to everybody um mm-hmm. so i i like that and i saw a guru once a famous who was talking about the power of curse words and that mm. it was actually oh, a very good thing um so nice. you know there's there's all there's all kinds of ways to uh ways to do it but this idea that you know you you want to listen you want to uh, learn to listen to the sound of your you know to what you're telling yourself mm-hmm. and if you can tell yourself something different and you can actually externalize it it might be very helpful for you and i say you i'm not talking about me nothing is helpful for me but for you <laughs> it might sure. work yeah yes um, yes. 
So when you're doing this, do you have to? So you use it like therapeutic. You 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 write it first, and then you figure out. You get yourself into a place where you can you actually come up with something that you can record. I do. I I think about whatever is troubling me in the moment. It can be anything. Um, it could be, for example, financial issues, and I'll write a meditation from that. And that's actually how I first started to connect in this space. I got on an app called Insight Timer, where you can submit your own meditations. And something about what I was doing really connected with people, because I realized a lot of meditations out there are a little more abstract. There weren't many that were tackling financial issues or like meditations for freelancers. And I did feel a little silly about doing that since no one else was really doing that. But I think that's why it connected. I think there's something about saying like, this is something that is bothering me. I can meditate about this. All right, let's try it. And I do think it works. If anything, you're just slowing down for a few minutes and you're giving yourself permission to maybe feel worry about it and then just let it pass. And I don't know, maybe that's why it connects. That's fantastic. That is, that is so fantastic. And and this is the the measure of health in the world. It's it's mental health, but it's also the ability to slow your heart rate down mm-hmm, or to yes. manage your heart rate. Let me put it that's what all these exercise classes are about, interval training and and being aware of your heart rate. The measure exactly. of health in the world will be your ability to um, slow your heart rate. Exactly. Um, There's really physical direct effects that come from it. And uh, that's pretty cool too. It's almost, you feel like a superhero. Like if you can slow your heart rate down when you're really anxious or nervous about something, it gives you this whole new feeling of power. And so that's, I think a very cool benefit of meditation. Batman and Robin never talk about that. <laughs> no. you, never, you never hear a cat woman saying, I would like to perfectly slow down my <laughs> yeah. heart rate. That was missing Perfect. from the Nolan series. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have it, but they should. No. They should. They should. Yeah. I, I, uh, now, how has this affected your life? Ooh, gosh. For the most part, there have been positive effects, but it's funny. I am only human, so I will record these meditations and be very slow and calm. And then I'll go outside and I'll hear leaf blowers and I will just completely lose it. But for the most part, it has become a habit that has guided me towards some calm. I know that no matter what happens throughout the day, if I can meditate for at least five minutes, I will have five minutes of calm. So overall, I think it's helped me with patience and with staying in the moment, but I still got some ways to go. Well, you say you're only human, and uh, we're all only human, and yes, this is this is what we're here to do. This is what we're here to do. I think I say what we're here to do. How, how the hell do I know what we're here to do? But I think <laughs> I think it's I think it's like it, it is a thing of uh, you know being present and the way you respond to your own human side. Mm. Yes, the way you it's going to be what it is because you have a brain, right? And yes. the brain does its, its job. And then your job is to figure out how to have a language with your your brain and your Ooh, feelings. Oh yes, and I your love thoughts. that. Yes, yeah. that's so true. That's figuring what out a language with your brain. That's what we're here to do. Uh, I yeah. don't have one. I speak about it a great deal. I don't <laughs> have it. Um, you know, if I ever follow any of these things, it's going to be I'm going to be a different person, and I won't be able to do this work. But no, but I, I um, yeah, so. So how do so could you take us through 
um, something like this? And yes. you know, sometimes you say it's a pretty short process. Yes. One thing that my husband and I do on our podcast, Something About Astrology, is that we end every episode with a sort of mini meditation. We do something called deep breaths where I guide us through taking three deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. And it takes about a minute and a half. And I feel it's just a a nice little refresher. You can do it anywhere. So I could guide us through that right now if you'd like. I would love it. All right, let's take a mini meditation, a nice little break. The first thing I like to advise is to just release the tension in your body. For example, unfurrow your brow, release the tension in your forehead, unclench your jaw, and let your shoulders drop. And if you would like to close your eyes, you can do so now. And together, let's take that first slow, deep breath in and release. Deep breath in and out. Last deep breath in. out. And just release any more tension you may have. Give yourself a little stretch and open your eyes. And that's it. That was about like a minute and a half. And it's just a nice little pause. Might slow down your heart rate. If anything, it reminds you to just be in the moment. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Anyone can do that. You don't have to know how to meditate. Just know how to take a deep breath. I love it. I love Yay. it. It's fantastic. And you have a great voice. My God, you oh, have such a good so voice much. for this. Thank yeah, you. You have a great voice. Um, yeah. And the, the, the issue with breathing, it's like something we do naturally, sure. But a lot of us walk around with our breath held. And a lot of us walk around as, as mm-hmm. if somebody's going to hit, hit us. Uh, or yes. we carry trauma in different parts of our bodies. And it doesn't have to be extreme. You know, it's it's not like you don't even have an extreme story, but you, right. you do this. Human beings do this. So um, so to breathe, the first thing, I well, somebody said, uh, you know, accept your breath, your breathing as it is. Mm. And that was a big thing for me because when anybody draws attention to how I breathe, I start breathing like Frank from Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. do you, I start breathing like Frank from Blue, Blue Ribbon. Got it. Okay. I, d- I do. And I say, don't you fucking look at me. And I do all yep. that stuff. Um, but now, um, uh, you know, accept your breathing as it is first and foremost. And then that, that, that meditation is so great. And again, the power is that this is, you haven't gone to an institute. You're, this is right. in, human beings right it's, mm-hmm, it's all mm-hmm. in us it's not it's not hard um it's not something that that a lot of people can't do for themselves exactly it's and so I feel true like the, yeah i feel like the diy um do-it-yourself meditation business is going to be a big business we're, we're going to do it i'm going to do it with you 
It'll be great. I would love that. Um, I think that there's a, a big, um, uh, I think people mistakenly believe that someone needs to like sit you down and teach you how to do this and that they've had to have studied it for years and that not anyone can just do it. And to me, the cool thing is that that's not really true, that you have the power within yourself to do this. And I see this as another form of health. It's like, if you want to learn how to meditate, just start. Like, that's really all you have to do. I think that there's something very empowering about making this a habit and starting from, like, I was, I, I remember thinking that, like, when I meditated, I needed to be transported and that I might hallucinate and that, because there was so much mysticism surrounding it and not without merit. I think it is a very deeply spiritual thing. But I also think that it made many people mistakenly believe, like, oh, I'm, I'm wide awake while I'm meditating. I just have my eyes closed and I'm taking deep breaths. I can't be doing it right. And it's like, no, that's that's perfect. That's all you need to do. So I definitely encourage people to, if this is something you're interested in, just start with like the three deep breaths. You can even set your timer for a minute and a half if you want to, but there's really no wrong way to do it. As long as you're focused and in the moment, you are doing it properly. Okay. Well, that's good advice for sure. And and uh, tell them where everything about you and where they can find you and where they can get all of your podcasts. Yes. Um, our podcast is called Something About Astrology, and that is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Casts, really wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, you can listen to my meditations on Insight Timer and on the website We Meditate. That is a subscription model, but they do offer some free previews on Insight Timer. And so you can hear me on that as well. And I think that about sums it up for now as far as the meditations go. But yeah, I, yeah, I can't you, wait to do but, more. Well, you're a great writer and you, you oh, thank have you. writing all over the, all over the <laughs> place. Do. Tell them where they can see your, see your writing. Um, let's see. Lately, I used to have a blog, Apocalyptic. I have not updated it in some time. Sometimes, though, I do writing, like going back to the entertainment thing, lifestyle thing. You can find some of my work in Genlux magazine. Um, so I do that. I write a lot of um, like little videos, reels. You can find me on Instagram at Apocalyptic or on TikTok at my name, Almy Rose. And that's if you want all of my um, sort of like pop culture updates. Um, totally different thing than guided meditations, but yet very Zen to me all the same. Can, can they f- still go to apocalyptic.com? Yes, I believe that that is still, I had it archived for a while, but I've made it public again. They can still check that out. It's, um, it's very old, um, but you can also just Google Almy Rose and find works that I've written for Hello Giggles, um, for so many, uh, like, women's focused websites. Um, and of course, all of it pop culture related. I love Apocalyptic. I just Thank am a, such a big fan of Apocalyptic too. All your stuff. <clears throat> you have a great voice, both spoken voice and written written in your voice is fantastic. Oh, um, thank you. And for, I want to do a challenge for the listeners uh, to actually try and write a short one minute meditation for yourself, guided meditation for yourself, record it and send it to ed at makelightmedia.com, ed at makelight, one word, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com. 
I want to hear it. Um, it's ama- It's fantastic. It's a fantastic tool that you can have. I'm going to try one t- tonight or tomorrow for sure. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, or you can go to Make Light Media, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, media.com, and uh, look for the good, and keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick. For Jennifer Kalari and Almy Rose, we will see you next time.